Acts chapter 1. Let's pray and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here this morning. Thankful for Sundays. Thankful for what Sunday represents. Thank you, Lord, for any time we get to gather. Thank you, Father, for your presence, for your strength. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the comforter. Thank you, Lord, that, that we belong to you and that this, this world and the enemy cannot touch us because we find ourselves in you. And Thank you for saving us and redeeming us. There's so much for us to be grateful for. And now this morning as we go to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our understanding to comprehend what your scripture is saying to us. May we live it boldly, courageously, and without reservation to your glory. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. All right, the coming of the Holy Spirit happens in Acts chapter 2, but we're going to read the uh, first eight verses of the book of Acts as we set up what we're talking about here this morning. The former treat, uh, treatise, Have I Made, O Theophilus, of All That Jesus Began Both to Do and Teach. Acts is written by um, Luke. Luke wrote his gospel also to Theophilus. Until the day in which he was taken up, Jesus, of course, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The message I want to share with you this morning is simply entitled, The Power is On. Um, whether you like it or not, I don't know, I can have everybody raise your hand, but there's some of you here that have come from a Methodist background. Some of you came from a Baptist background. Some of you may have come from a Nazarene background. Uh, some of you came from, I don't know, Presbyterian. Anybody in here that came from a Catholic background at one time was part of the Catholic Church? Okay. No, there may be some of you in here that came from a, I didn't believe in squat background, I don't know, and so now you find yourself here. Uh, but whatever label that you may place upon your life, at the end of the day, we're all Pentecostals. And, and I know that that might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, but the day of Pentecost is the birth of the church. So every one of us that is a part of the church of Jesus Christ is a Pentecostal. Now you may not act like one, and I hope that you don't act like one, but you're a Pentecostal. Now, I may have told this joke before, and if I did, laugh anyway. But there was a revival going on, and it was a community revival, and all the churches were supposed to get together for this, for this uh, revival, uh, and it was in a little Pentecostal church. And so when the evangelist got up on the platform to preach, which the evangelist uh, was a Pentecostal, and so the evangelist gets up in there and says, how many of you in this sanctuary are Pentecostal? And everybody in the sanctuary raised their hand, except for this one lady sitting on the front row. And he said, ma'am, what are you? She said, well, I'm Baptist. And he said, well, why are you Baptist? And she said, well, my mother was Baptist, and my grandmother was Baptist, and my parents were parents, my grandparents were Baptist, so I'm a Baptist. And the evangelist said, well, what if your parents and your grandparents weren't very smart? And she said, then I guess I'd be Pentecostal like you.
It's easy for us to take for granted electricity in first world countries. We have a lot of complaints as first world people that are really ridiculous, right? Um, we flip light switches on, we plug stuff in, we turn TVs on, and we just expect them to work the way they were intended to, right? I don't know that most of us ever go to a light switch in prayer, right? You just flip it on and expect it to work. You just turn, pick up your remote if you can find it, right? That's, that's the miracle is finding the remote. You pick up the remote, you press the power button, you expect it to come on. We go to work, we power up our computers, we turn on coffee pots, we use coffee machines, we hope to store our lunches in a refrigerator that will actually keep it cold. If it's hot outside, we expect our air to kick on when it needs to, and when it's cold, we want the heat to be pumping out. We don't really think about how much we need electricity to be flowing until it's not. How many of you will agree that flipping on a light switch can be a little bit frustrating if it don't work, right? We, uh, we had a, um, an issue at the house that first hot weekend that we had, like in the month of April, where it got up to like 90 degrees, found out my air condition wasn't working, right? There was uh, actually uh, the electricity going to the, the unit, which is in my attic. The, the wiring had come loose, and it was also loose at the box. So they came and fixed it, and, of course, we had air. Uh, of course, they didn't show up till the next day, and so by the following day, it was back down into the 60s, so I didn't really need the air, but we got it fixed. It's pumping now. Hallelujah. We had the outlets go out in both the bathrooms. You ever had that, ever had that happen? So Amy was fixing her hair in the dining room, trying to find a, an outlet that actually worked. <laughs> Come to find out, it just, had, it just had blown the breaker downstairs, so I went and flipped it, and now it's working. Everything's fine, but we recognize that we've got to have power because I get frustrated if I flip a switch and nothing happens. How many times have you plugged your phone in at night and the electricity goes out and you wake up the next morning and your phone's dead? There's a devil loose, right? Sitting around in the dark with candles is not always the best way to spend an evening. Now, some of you might want to do that romantically. I lit my candles for you. But most of the time, we don't care to sit around walking around the house with, with candles, right? We want to be able to have power. We need power. And the thing about power is that it has to have a source, right? Your TV or your appliance or phone or whatever can be perfectly designed to perform as it is intended. But if it's not plugged into a power source, it's not going to work. So no matter how good the appliance looks and no matter how well it's put together, if you don't have a power source, then it's not going to work. Your car is not going to run if you don't give it fuel for the combustion to work. Your bicycle is not going to move if you don't give it some good old human power of leg pumping. Everything needs a source of power. No matter how good something was designed, if it loses its connection to a power source, it's not going to work. Today, we celebrate Pentecost. Today is the day we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And it's the day that we celebrate the gift of power that energizes the church to obey the call of God on our lives. Now, just as a background, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday that's also known as the Feast of Weeks, as well as a harvest feast or a uh, feast of first fruits. Uh, it took place 50 days after uh, Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At the conclusion of Passover, 
the first sheaf of the barley harvest would be offered before God in the temple, anticipating the greater harvest that was to come to follow in the summer on the 50th day after Passover because Pentecost actually comes from the Greek word for 50. All Israel would come to the temple and Jerusalem to celebrate in God's presence. Uh, Parents, children, male and female servants, sojourners, uh, the fatherless, widows would all give thanks and feast in memory of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Jewish tradition also believes that the law was given to the people of Israel on the day of Pentecost. They also believe it was the birth of King David on the day of Pentecost. And as the people gathered in Jerusalem here in, in, in the second chapter of Acts, we see that they come from all over the place. They, they are celebrating the God who provided a harvest and a God who gave the law. And now God is fulfilling his promise given by Jesus to write the law of God on the hearts of the people by the coming of the Holy Spirit. So just as the nation of Israel was defined by the law of God at Mount Sinai, the church is now defined by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 tells us the dramatic events that happened. Now most of the time, folks, let's be honest, when we come to church on Sunday, it's just an ordinary Sunday. We sing songs, we sit in pews, we listen to sermons. When it's over, we go eat. Then we take naps, right? Um, And so Sundays are just normal days. But these guys in Acts chapter 2, they got together up in the upper room 10 days after Jesus had already ascended, right? Jesus resurrected. He spent 40 days here on earth. He ascended to heaven on the 40th day. So it's been 10 days since Jesus has been gone. He promised there here in Acts chapter 1 that John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And so there they all are in the upper room, 120 of them, apostles, uh, followers of Jesus, men, women. They're all up there in the upper room waiting, anticipating something's going to happen. Now, I don't know what they may have been doing every day. Did they stay there? Did they eat? Did they door dash? What were they doing? What were they doing in the upper room? Singing, having church services? Did they go home and come back at a certain time? What was happening? All I know is is that every day they were gathering in this upper room as believers, anticipating something was going to happen. And so for every day, just a normal gathering of folks, praying, maybe reading some scripture, maybe singing a song, just normal stuff. And then on the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, as they've been anticipating, maybe some of them were starting to lose hope. Jesus promised us something would happen not many days from now. What's the definition of not many days? Right? It's kind of vague. Not many days from now. So their faith had to hold on that something was going to happen. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says a very dramatic event came. The wind of God blew into that building, and then tongues of fire sat upon every one of them. And they came out under the anointing and the supernatural power of God. At 9 o'clock in the morning, they were being accused of being drunk. Because they had experienced a supernatural power that made them sound like they were talking in gibberish. Peter preaches a sermon 
3,000 believers were converted on that day. I don't know about you, but that's not a normal Sunday morning. Right? When y'all go back to work on Monday, how would you like to say, how was church Sunday? Well, the wind blew in. Tongues of fire sat on everybody, and I staggered around like a drunk man. How was your Sunday? (laughs) One thing is certain, the church was born in power, the church was filled with power, and the church operated in power, and they absolutely knew exactly who the source of this power was. Now, obviously, the early church needed something to energize and comfort them, as Pastor Don said. Jesus was leaving. They were now called to continue the gospel message. Even the apostles had gone from 12 to 11. One of them that had followed Jesus had committed suicide after betraying Jesus, and they had to replace him. So Jesus is gone. They're called to continue. They were still focused on Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom, but Jesus wanted them to understand that the mission was different. A conquering of the hearts of men had to happen before the kingdoms of men would bow. And it was really hard for people to understand that the true message and the true point of God sending Christ was not to physically control the earth, but to be able to welcome people as children and invade their hearts with his very presence. Jesus doesn't get into their question about how the end is going to play out. Listen, I understand. There's a lot of people that I run into that are really interested about how it's all going to play out in the end. How, how this is working this way and how this, what, how this happening in China means this and this happening in Russia means this and this happening in Israel means this and we're always looking for the signs of the times, wondering how it's going to happen. There are some people that believe that are saved only because they're scared to death of how it's all going to end. And normally when I talk about eschatology, which is the the theology of the end times, all I know is Jesus is coming back. That's what I know. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set all things straight. And how it, it works out in the end is how God has already designed it, and he doesn't need my opinion anyway. But as you notice there, Jesus doesn't get into this. How is this all going to play out? How are you going to set up your kingdom? How are you going to fix it so that we can rule with you, Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, that's not what's important. What I do want you to know is that the reality of the coming of the Spirit is going to empower you to live out an amazing mission. You have a mission. As much as we need to be heavenly-centered people, we have to recognize that we are on this earth, and we are on this earth for a mission. We are on this earth for a reason. Acts 1 starts with the reality of the power of the resurrection. And the reality of the resurrection is the heart of every sermon that is preached in Acts. If you look through the book of Acts, it is the main point that every apostle makes and takes everybody back to is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that is the main point. The main point is, is not only did Jesus die, but Jesus rose again. And because Jesus is alive is the reason why we have hope and the reason why we have salvation and the reason why we have faith. So everything was birthed from this resurrection. Luke even tells us that there were many infallible proofs. In other words, what he's saying is this thing was not done in the corner. This is not some fairy tale or fable. There are historical infallible proofs that Jesus was alive, that Jesus died, and now Jesus rose again. Christianity is a historically verifiable religion. 
This is not just Jack and the Beanstalk. Now the infilling of the Holy Spirit was going to infuse the followers of Jesus with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Again, the church was born in power, filled with power, and operated in power. In other words, the church was not a stranger to supernatural power. The church was not a stranger to God's supernatural power. And today, we are centuries separated from that first Pentecost. And many times we read it as such, historical, and too long ago, too long ago to have any effect on my life. As I said, I, we've never had a church service here where tongues of fire have set on anybody's head. Not that I have seen. Maybe you saw it. I didn't see it. Later in Acts chapter 4, they have another church service. And the Bible says that the building literally shook when the Holy Spirit fell. The building literally shook. That'd be another, wouldn't that be another testimony, right? How was church Sunday? Well, the building shook. Then in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lies to the Holy Ghost and dies. How was your Sunday? A couple people died. A couple people lied to God and fell over dead. It was a good Sunday. How many of you know that would call that'd be an altar call? Right? The Bible says that many people were in fear. And there's all, there's sometimes there's a little understatements in the Bible. I don't know about you. If I came to church on a Sunday and somebody lied to the Holy Ghost and fell down dead, I'd be scared. I'd be doing a little bit of repenting. I don't know that I'd ever leave. I'm just going to stay right here. Stay right here. I'm afraid if I leave here. But that was the whole point. The point is is that God was trying to show the early church that you don't mess around with sin and that, that the apostles were not in charge of the church. The Holy Spirit was. Peter didn't say you lied to me. He said you lied to the Holy Ghost. So we recognize many times we read these stories, and man, that's, that happened a long time ago. That, that, that doesn't have any effect on my life. But what we have to recognize here in 2022 that the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that birthed the church and filled the first followers is the same Holy Spirit that is filling everyone who will believe today. This is not a different Holy Ghost. We just have to make sure we stay connected. Now, I, I understand. I do believe God works in different ways, different time periods and so, th- so forth and so on, that God reveals himself in certain ways. He may operate in different, you know, you might see certain gifts of the Spirit more prevalent during certain times of, of, of the church or, or where God desires to do things in a certain way. I'm not saying that we're supposed to look at the book of Acts and our every Sunday is supposed to look like that. I understand that. There was something special that happened on this day of Pentecost. But lots of times, we as the people of God, because we become so estranged from what God did in the book of Acts, that we get comfortable with the fact that we're not experiencing the power of God operating in our lives like we are meant to do as people of God. I know I do. What we have to recognize as believers is that if we are saved, if we have repented and trusted Jesus as Savior, we're filled with the Spirit. The work of salvation in our hearts is made power, pow, possible by the power of the Spirit. If you are born again, then the Spirit lives in you. You are literally the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
So if you are born again, if you have repented of your sins, turned to Jesus by faith, trusted in his grace, then your heart has been filled with the Spirit. It's literally what separates us from an unbeliever. What makes us a believer is that the Spirit lives on the inside of us. If his Spirit does not live on the inside of us, then we are not believers. So it's what makes it possible, which means you have power in you, period. You have power in you, power to be who Jesus called you to be and power to do what he has called you to do. See, the enemy wants us to believe that we can't live this life, that every day is supposed to be a struggle, that I'm supposed to barely get by in life, that I can barely keep my head above water, that every day is supposed to be a spiritual fight, that every day is supposed to be uh, me hoping I can get to the other side. The enemy wants us to think that we don't have what it takes to obey God. That we don't have what it takes to be used by God. You don't have the talent. You don't have the skill. You don't have the notoriety. You don't have what it takes to do what God wants you to do. Even our own flesh wants to remind us of our failures and convince us that we can't live holy or that we can't live a life that pleases God. But these are all lies. These are lies that the enemy tells us. These are lies that our flesh tells us. These are lies that condemnation tells us that we can't do this. And every time we mess up or every time we make a mistake or every time we try to step out by faith, if we fall flat on our face, we just say, well, I guess it's just not for me. Well, I guess I can't try it. I guess I can't make it. I guess I can't do this or I can't do that. But these are all lies because, folks, the power is still on. The power is on. The Holy Spirit is still our source of energy for ministry, for obedience, for holy living. He is still the source of comfort and strength and and protection and blessing. Pleasing God and living victoriously is not meant to be an occasional thing. It is the result of learning to live and walk in the Spirit. We are not meant to be occasionally joyful people. Occasionally victorious people, occasionally obedient people. We are meant to enjoy the blessings of a people that are filled with the power of God. And so if you are a born-again believer, stop allowing your own mind, the devil, the world, your flesh, to try to convince you that you don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit, that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives on the inside of you. And now the Bible also promises us something that's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is an event that is subsequent to salvation where Jesus empowers us. He opens us up to a new realm of supernatural power. The Bible teaches us that we should seek to be continually filled with the Spirit. Ephesians says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the command there is not necessarily that Paul is saying, stay away from alcohol, although that's probably a wise choice. But what Paul is talking about there in Ephesians is that a lot of the pagans would use alcohol and would get drunk as a way to get in touch with the spiritual realm. Because if you've ever been drunk or you've ever been high, you think you're spiritual. Right, You think you're in contact 
with somebody. It's like in Young Guns when they had to get in touch with the great spirit and they all got high on peyote, right? And the guy came out of that cave. Did you see the size of that chicken? I don't know, maybe you've never seen Young Guns. But what Paul was actually saying was, is there are so many people that are using outside sources trying to get in contact with God when what you need to be is not filled with alcohol, not filled with drugs, not filled with what the world can offer, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a command to Christians already. So we act like many times that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just one, some one-time event where we come to the altar and pray or somebody lays hands on us or we ask God to fill us with the Holy Ghost. But this is a, a, something that we should continually be seeking and continually be desiring to be filled with the Spirit of God. It opens us up to the realm of the gifts of the Spirit. And again, it's not meant for us to just... Uh, Come and and, and let me have one taste of what God has done. I want to continually and consistently be filled with the Spirit. Because the Bible even tells us that the only thing that we're supposed to covet is spiritual gifts. Covet earnestly the best gifts, the Bible says. That we should covet or desire to be used in the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or discerning of spirits or prophecy. That we should desire to be used in the gifts. Now, we know there are nine gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians. I don't believe that that's an exhaustive list any more than I believe there's only nine, only nine fruits of the Spirit. But what Paul, the point that Paul is making is, is these are some of the gifts that God can give us and wants to use us in when we are filled with the power of God. And with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes this energy to operate in the supernatural realm. It comes with the gift of praying in tongues. It comes with a new way of fellowshipping with God. And in case you didn't know that, know this, we do believe in praying in tongues here. We believe that God, is, it is a gift. I believe that every gift is still in operation and should be in operation within the church. And with every, any believer that desires to be filled with the Holy Ghost. For some reason, that makes us uncomfortable. But we've got to look at what the Bible says. Paul said, I, I wish that you all spoke with tongues. And so I recognize that, 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 that many times we get a little spooky when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe we need to get a little spooky. If we are the people of God, we are different. We are defined by God's Spirit. We are defined by His power. We are defined by His anointing. And so it should be our desire to desire the gifts of the Spirit. You are invited to be filled with power. You are invited to be filled with power. The point is, we are not at the mercy of the devil and his demonic forces. We are not meant to be overpowered by the lies of our culture and the desires of our flesh. We do not have to live in fear of our circumstances or be defined by our past mistakes, as Pastor Don said. We are not called to barely get by and hope we can make it. We have been called to be birthed in power, filled with power, and operate in power. We are meant to be supernatural people fulfilling a supernatural mission. We are meant to be bold and courageous people of truth. The power is still on. We have to learn to stay connected. 
I don't know about you, but lots of times we can walk up to a lamp and we expect it to come on. We flip, we click the little thing and we expect it to come on. And what happens, what could happen, what's normally the first thing we should do if it doesn't kick on? We, we go, we'll go through everything. I mean, we'll look at the light bulb, take the lamp apart. Something wrong with this thing. First thing you got to do is look and see if it's plugged in. Is the thing plugged in? Right? And lots of times in our own life when we find ourselves slipping, we're losing our passion, we're, we're losing our excitement, we start looking at every other reason other than the fact that we're not connected. We're not connected. We're not connected to the source of power. We're not learning to, to connect to the power source, which is the Holy Spirit in our lives. No matter how good we look on the outside, and it doesn't matter how streamlined our ministries are or how put together our services might be, if we don't stay connected to the source, we will not fulfill our purpose. If we don't stay connected to the moving of the Holy Ghost, then the church is nothing more than a gathering place. We're, we're, not, any, we're not any different than, than uh, gathering together at, at a lodge or a bar or, a, or any kind of get-together that you want to have. We're just gathering around to hang out. Don't get me wrong, I like hot dogs, but we need hot dogs and the Holy Ghost. It's a good combination. In other words, as a church, we need to recognize that we have to learn to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. We stop, we, we lose our life source when we start relying on outside things to, find, to define who we are as the people of God. In other words, think about it. Don't, and don't get me wrong. We've all done this, whether we're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, but we come into church services and we rely on the worship team to make us feel good. Right? I came in discouraged. I came in down. Then they sing your favorite song and you're blubbering all over yourself. <laughs> you have that experience with God, which is good. That should happen. I get it. That's, that's part of gathering in God's presence. But that can't just happen on Sunday. And that can't just happen when they sing your favorite song. And that can't just happen when the temperature's just right in the sanctuary. Or when everything's working the way it's supposed to be working. And everybody's dressed the way they should be dressed. And everybody's actually clapping on beat. Listen, I get it. There's some things that can pull you out of the presence of God really quick. I get it. And I know that sometimes we just want to come to church to get through our checklist. Which is what I'm supposed to do. It's Sunday. Let me check it off. Let me get back to life. Right? Some of you, you've come to church and, and you've sat down and you're like, I, I hope that everybody just leaves me alone. <laughs> just leave me alone. I just want to come to church. I want to sing a few songs. I want to listen to a sermon and I want to leave. Leave me alone. But it seems like when you do that, God always plants somebody right there. And they're worshiping right in your ear. Singing as loud as they can, off key. Worshiping God. Because 
Sundays can't just be a pick-me-up day. Yes, it should be a refilling day. It should be a refueling day. It's where we learn. It's where we connect. It's where we use our gifts. It's where we become disciples. I get it. I'm a huge fan of church. But the church is us. And the church needs to learn to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. When everything else is stripped away, I've got to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not just a power. He's not just a force or an energy. It's like like Star Wars where we can, you know, control things by the force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And we are called to know Him, to learn to hear His voice, to be led by Him, to walk in His fruits, to walk in His gifts, and be empowered by Him to be a witness. So the command on Pentecost is don't become a stranger to the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan refers to him as the forgotten God. In other words, he becomes a stranger to us because we spend so much time being churchy instead of being spiritual. We we become so defined by our church persona when we should be defined by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that desires to continually be filled. But we have to remember to stay connected. Also remember this, that the Spirit and the Word always work together. To to be the people of the Spirit, we must be people of the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, and then God said, let there be. This is God's cure for chaos, the Spirit and the Word. When the Spirit moves and the Word is spoken, then chaos comes in to order. When the Spirit and the Word is applied to our life, then fear is replaced with faith. Uncertainty is replaced with confidence when the Spirit and the Word is put together. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. And he leads us into truth. Not my truth. Not your truth. Truth. He leads us into truth. And defines for us what truth is. And reveals to us the unchanging principles of God. The Bible says that he convicts the world of sin. How? By the truth. By the truth of the gospel. And then he leads believers into growth through The same truth. We can only grow by knowledge. If you don't know, you don't grow. If you know, then you grow. When you know truth, then you're growing. And the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin, and the Spirit of God reveals to His people the truth of God's Word. He's the one that leads us. This is the same power that is on. The same power that empowers us with gifts and empowers us with fruit. It's the same power that empowers us to walk in truth and brings us comfort and brings us truth, brings us strength. This is all found in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, the Holy Spirit speaks primarily through the Word of God. I do believe that the Spirit of God still speaks to our heart, but recognize that if the Spirit of God, quote, says something to you that contradicts the Word of God, then it is not the Spirit of God. 
I don't care who the teacher may be. If they preach something that goes against what the Word of God says, they are a false teacher. I don't care if they could tell me that they had a vision of God and was taken into the third heaven and skipped around with Jesus. If they preach something that's contrary to Scripture, it's not true. But it's through, and, it's, and here's the thing, it's through the Word of God that we learn who the, Spirit, who the Spirit is, what we've been called to do, who we've been called to become, and by knowing the Bible, it teaches us to know the voice of the Spirit. See, if we don't know truth already, if we don't know the Word of God already, it makes it hard for us to hear the whisperings of the voice of the Spirit. If we don't know the truth, then we get tossed about by every wave of doctrine, by every philosophy. It comes down the pike. Every new idea, everybody that comes along and says, thus saith the Lord, and prophesies over you, then all of a sudden we're like, this must be the new wave of things, right? We have to recognize that the Spirit and the Word work together. And so the power is rooted in the spirit of truth. And so I know that we are, we are facing a world that is becoming darker and darker. We're facing a world that's becoming darker and darker. Obviously, the Bible has, has told us that this is going to happen. It should not shock us. It should not shock us that, that the farther we move away from the Judeo-Christian values, the darker and the darker our world will become. It blows me away sometimes how the church acts surprised when the world acts like the world. They're the world. Right? Some of us, we get caught up in all the cultural trends, and and, and I recognize that, that, that there's a lot of things that we need to learn to be better at, loving people and, and showing God's grace, even when we may not agree with certain lifestyles or certain decisions that people make or or, or things that they want to do. But man, the world is dark and crazy and, and wrapped up in so much brokenness and so much hurt. Some of y'all were enthralled with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Can we all admit they were both nutbags? I, I never watched it. I didn't really know what was going on. I, you know, I just assumed, assumed Johnny Depp was crazy, and then obviously she was too. I'm grateful, though, that the Spirit of Truth guides us through the dirt. Because, man, we need, we need truth just to overcome TikTok. We need truth to overcome YouTube. We need truth to overcome Facebook and Twitter and, and Twitchy and Snap and every other social media thing. 4chan and 8chan and 72chan. Some of y'all are not familiar with that stuff and don't need to be. God bless you. We know the world is getting dark. And the lies and confusion of our culture has tried to turn off the lights. The enemy fights to keep us in the dark. And how does he keep us in the dark? By keeping us disconnected from the power of God. It's okay if you're religious. It's okay if you're churchy. It's even okay if you live good lives. But what the enemy does not want you to do is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. What the enemy does not want you to be is connected to the source of supernatural power. Seven sons of Sceva, they came to cast the devil out of this this person. 
and said, We adjure you in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? Who are you? The enemy fights to keep us in the dark and disconnected from the power of God. But on this Pentecost, let's become spiritually aware to our need for the Holy Spirit. If every believer in this sanctuary would consistently seek to know the Spirit and be baptized in the power of the Spirit, it would change everything. Everything. If we all consistently sought to know God's Spirit, to hear His voice, to be consistently filled with the Holy Ghost, to look for ways to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, to to allow Him to, to fashion in us the character of God through the fruits of the Spirit. See, all of this is a result of the power of God. You can live this Christian life because you have the power to do so. Every believer in this sanctuary could change the atmosphere of this place, could change the atmosphere of their home, if we would seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't allow the constant buzz of the voices of the world and the voices of our flesh to distract us from our spiritual inheritance and our spiritual calling and our spiritual pursuit. Are you hungry for God's presence? Are you hungry for the Spirit of God? Do you want to be supernatural people? You can live victoriously. I know that there may be some of you discouraged in here today because you've felt like you failed or you felt like you've been defeated. You felt like you can't do this. And the fact of the matter is you can't do this. But the Holy Spirit in you can. The grace of God can empower you to do what God has called you to do, to become whom God has called you to become. Some of you have been sitting back waiting to get involved in some ministry in the church and you just don't feel like you can. The power is on. The power's on, folks. You can live victoriously. You can be an overcomer. You can be more than a conqueror. You just have to stay connected. You just got to stay connected to the power of God. Let's be people of the Spirit. Let's be people who are defined by His gifts and by His fruits. Let's be a people who are different than the world. People who are people of the Word, who embrace the truth of God, and unashamedly, boldly stand and proclaim it in a culture that does not want to hear it. No matter where it puts us in life. God will empower us to do this. God will empower His church to be the church. He is the power of gifts, the power of fruit, the power of comfort, the power of strength. And so when we recognize this Holy Spirit, when we live in this reality, we become the people that God designed us to become. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we are grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and filling the church and empowering the church. Thank you for your work in our life that saves us and regenerates us and renews us. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life that helps us to live holy and lives that please God. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to tap into the supernatural realm and to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is with us and for us. God, we want to be a people of the Spirit. We want this church to be a church of the Spirit. And so we're asking you now in Jesus' name that you would ignite a hunger and a thirst in our heart for your presence 
for the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that anybody in this room that desires to be filled or baptized in the Spirit or desires to seek and pursue your power, that God, you would fill them this day. Whether we come to this altar or whether we seek God in our private time, Lord, help us be aware of our need for the Holy Spirit. Let us not be satisfied with the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Let us not be satisfied with church and religion. God, may we be hungry for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come and fill your people, we pray, on this Pentecost. In Jesus' name. As you know, we end every service with a time of worship. And so I'm going to ask you to join us in worship here today.